Meet me on the softer side. Meet me on the softer side. Softer side of your heart. Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. You can find out about this and all of our other author events at www.skylightbooks.com, where you can also browse our inventory as well as order books online. You can also follow us on Twitter or even be our friend at Facebook.com. If you'd like to talk to a real person, we can be reached at 323-660-1175. And don't forget, Skylight Books depends on listeners like you to help support us. So whether you're in our neighborhood or browsing online, buy a book or two to help ensure that we'll be around for a long, long time. Thanks and enjoy. We're very happy to have Mandy here, joined by Becky Stark and the Infinity Angels Choir in for a wonderful time. Please welcome Mandy Conn. to see you all here. So I'm going to start by reading from this book, Math and in Time. And uh, I'll start with the first poem in this book. This is called The Tour Guide. Um, many times uh, I've traveled through Europe alone and I end up in countries where I don't speak the language and I'm walking through churches and museums and I'm watching tour guides giving uh, talks in other languages. And uh, this is about one of those. The tour guide. I followed the German tour guide through the hulking old basilica. He told the group, or so I guessed, indicating high and low. This is where the wind begins. This is where the childhoods of a thousand martyrs live untouched. Wood grain in these pews still curls to likenesses of patron saints. Window holes are cut the breadth of human souls when loosed. Dark paint in the frescoes is crushed ants. White paint is light. Leaves and fauna long extinct are rendered in the porticos. See that goat with antlers? Gone from life, but captured here. Hold your breath and it bows its head. Reach toward the ceiling and sigh and it sighs. Worth two times the value of the Bulgar Sea is that old bell. When younger priests would ring it, the nuns were warned to shield their hearts. He said far more I can't recall, and when I tried to pay him, he spurned my coins, saying in German, what good is money, my child, to the wind? This poem is a marriage proposal in two parts. Part one is the offer and part two is the response. Marry me, 
One, he said, I've known women taught from childhood all the ways to love a man further than reason. So he grabs his head in passion, scared he'll spill his brains. Touched bodies stitched of plum skins, held bodies shivered thin with fear and sickness all through sweaty nights. So near death they stink. You were not yet born when I learned for good what a girl could do and gently with flattened hands, looking me straight in the eye. I'm not here for friendship. I don't want a lover. Take me to your small house and hang me like a shelf beside your entryway. Water me and feed me as you see fit. Give me a place to do my work and I'll show you the finest work of my life. Wrap your legs around me when the day ends and snore. There where trash trucks shake the wooden shades with loud harmonica calls, with your long hands to shuffle my hair and finger my toes, I'll show the world what I can do. Two, she said, I'm a white Siberian iris just past seedling in a vacant lot. Nobody knows how I got here, how to tend me, how long I'll last. I'm vulnerable to winds, dropped temperatures, interruptions, men. To love me is to watch me from the window of the tenement across the way, to visit me on Sundays, to send your prayers. Some things are so strange to the world and to themselves, they're best left to the seasons, which will care for them in increments so small, they shuffle nothing, impact nothing as far as men can see. This next poem takes place in space. What happened right above you? After four days on the satellite, the astronaut turned to his crew. Space, he said, is blacker than what's lost, blacker than everything piled on top of everything blacker than rot, blacker than sludge. It's the path that winds between us, friends I've clung to over the edge of this ship, the known, and over the light, the end. Now we flip through the films of his past and find him floating, tethered to another spacesuit, fixing his aging ship. But why do we pause and watch him, hands lost in the rising gloves, hips lost in a fabric, that won't burn or melt, rationing his breath. Why do we bother watching? We're all in love. Who better knows distance than we? You can kind of feel it out, but um, we'll, we'll um, anyway, well, let's see what happens after the next one, though. We'll use that as our precedent moving on. This is a short one, so you just only have a small amount of time to decide what you're going to do. No bones. I have no bones. I'm the windsock my neighbor forgets still hangs from his porch. You can see in the grain of its cloth where the color was once, and twice a week or thereabouts, without a sound, the evening air still lifts it. <laughs> now the <don't> <laughs> 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 <laughs>
Um, this next poem is called Your Hands, Stieglitz to O'Keefe. Um, Alfred Stieglitz uh, is the speaker in this poem, and he's speaking to Georgia O'Keeffe. Um, during the many years of their partnership, he took countless photographs of her hands, and this poem takes those photos um, as its subject matter. Your hands, Stieglitz to O'Keefe. It's not only they're a pair of starfish wet on crumbled rock, or how they're older than you are, or that they stand for you. Fingers sometimes square as cocktail carrots, and others round. Fingers sometimes curved in benediction, woozy with grace, or flat and spread above your head. Two antennas calling down through ceiling boards and roof tiles, the next line you will paint. Cleft of tendon that lifts in your wrist, lifeline that hints you'll outlive me. Their fluted shape is the leaning shape you always paint, a drying conch. It isn't how they always find the light, or how they're bronze, how they echo the ditch that forms by your clavicle, or how they possess, how they sneak from the fields of your sleeves like ferrets with a curious nose, how they're maps of the roads through the hills by Lake George, or how they are rakes, or how each claws his mate, saying, my love, my foe. No, it's how, holding the tree in even sunlight, they are the tree. Now I've engendered a confusion. <laughs> Why I wake up slowly. I'm put to sleep, as you are, by the regular noise of fluttering angels. With hands the size of nickels, all night they smooth my hair. When I sleep my deepest, they line the sheets around me like iridescent dinner plates. Our breaths in concert rise. Later, just before I wake, they watch like tiny mothers hovered in groups, an air show heard from many miles away. I know the sound and try to stay asleep to keep them. So some of the poems in this book are spoken by characters. Um, it's not always the poet speaking. This is one of those. Um, it's spoken by a woman who has lived in a retirement community for many years. It's called, My Heart is a House Where Nobody Lives. I wouldn't even know the way to make love now. If anyone tried, I'd cleave like the bulbs of a cell when it's splitting. If anyone tried, I'd separate beside myself. I was the one that everyone loved, yet ended up lonely. That makes me a miraculous feat of loneliness. They said my loneliness couldn't be done, and I went and showed them. In the world of loneliness, everyone knows my name. American Poem. Let's forget our debt in each other's arms. The leaning house is quiet now, those peeling walls we strain each month to own. 
Our parents look at us with disappointment. They say it wasn't hard to pay their ode. All we have is the breath in our ears from each other and places where our skin is not too stretched. All we have are the free things, the pond in March, its bottom muck, the path that leads to bottom muck through ferns. Those things should have been enough, the two abundant things. Our lives will be protracted now and strained. Our love will be strained. The pipes at night make an old sound, so we know they are strained. Nightfall takes its place in sheets around our empire. It lays us flat. We dream of closets empty. That's the only economic poem I've ever That's, I think that's the only time I've, I've ever thought about economics at all. Anyone who has ever lived in Echo Park might uh, recognize an element in this poem. I lived in Echo Park for several years. The clock we use in Echo Park this one's for the rooster that crows for dawn all day from a coop I cannot locate somewhere on my block. He knows that night is afternoon, that afternoon is dawn, that daybreak is a shawl you wear across your shoulders into night. When I miss a deadline, he tells me deadlines never come. We live in them. They cannot be without us. We're their very love, their breath. That one doesn't apply to me because I've never missed a deadline, so I don't even know what that would feel like. Um, but I'm told it's really stressful. Um, I am working on a series of, of poems that are about classical music and classical composers, um, and in the last chunk of that group of poems, the pieces of classical music speak for themselves, and this is one of those. So the speaker in this piece um, is a piece of classical music called Six Marimbas by Steve Reich, and if you've never seen a marimba, it looks like a giant xylophone, and this piece is played on six of them. Six Marimbas, Steve Reich. Certain even numbers split in two become a set of primes. Technically they're even, but they're pregnant with indivisibility. I have always been like that. I'm linear but cockeyed, all those lines lined up but at a slant. You can see it when you watch ensembles play me. Aren't they brothers standing at my six separate instruments? Don't they listen deftly to each other with such feeling and with such feeling block each other out? To get to the end, they must fuse but separately. It is like the question, must you marry yourself to marry another? Or can a thing that isn't already be made whole? So in this one, the speaker is uh, Glenn Gould's chair. This is called Glenn Gould's chair. He carried me from place to place, would play nothing without me. 
It wasn't that he knew I'd raise him only 14 inches high. A man he loved, his father, had made me for him. The world's too full of people, things, of chairs. Every year there's talk of something better in the new. But those who've never sat on something pulled for you from solid wood can't know. Only I can say how I was made, and I remember gingerly. This is another one of those. The composer Charles Ives pops up in this one. But the speaker is neither Ives himself nor anything he sat on or owned. <laughs> Explanation. Yes, she says, and thank you, but it isn't only good. I get anxious, and that's mixed in with irises, with accolades. I'm like a composition by Charles Ives. Do you know him? You can hear the hometown band marching down Main Street, see the girls with batons, and watch their handsome mothers sending batting from the balconies. But a second band is playing from the shipyard, something different, and rarely do the two bands fall in time. I'm the complicated problem of a dissonance in spring. Crocuses, yes, in bunches, and girls in pinafore aprons over saddle shoes, but divided by that spiky and difficult pie. There's a lot of math in these for a person who was never good at math. Um, on Ravel's Bolero. Ravel was embarrassed by Bolero. It had been too easy to write. It seemed to swim from his head like an elegant smoke. The crowd always rose for it, thunderous, sweating, garish, teeth bared, applauding even before it was done, even before it was known. We tend to favor our most difficult projects, those painful loves. So much of ourselves we've left on their moldering battlefields. Those pieces, nuanced, bulbous, spiked, hard to conceive, hard to complete, bought themselves into being with our very breath, our lives. They are what we love the most, seeing in their slender braid, irregular flecks of our own shed skin, strands of our own fallen hair. Those are what we keep on our bedstands and reach for in the night. No one needs them like we do, as no one could imagine what was bartered in the project of their making, and for whom and why. Thank you. This one is not about classical music. Um, Monk's Lament. What did I ever want to do but good? I wrap it all in twine, give it all away, but no one's taking, and I grow strange. In photos, I don't register. I'm a spot on the lens, a crease in the sheet. Some things are so white you cannot see them. They braid themselves in air. Maybe the path of virtue winds so deep into the woods, 
Into the hovering brambles, they mark your wagon lost. For three days, five days, even a week, I hide out, refuse the treacherous trouble I've prescribed myself, won't do a holy thing. For three days, five days, even a week, I'm back at the Carmine buildings of my college, chatting with colleagues, clutching my binders and books. Aren't they luminous, girls in their tartans and ponytails, boys in their cuffs and collars, paused on the leaf-littered steps? Lingering among them, I might be anyone else, chiseled with health, with all his earthly concerns. But then the week has passed. I'm back in bed with my sicknesses, my strange ideals, this quilt of heavy love. Don't pity me. I chose this, the long, impossible climb, the one that breaks the body into breath. last one I'm going to read before the choir joins us. Poem that contains all time. A sheep encountered a fisherman in rags near the edge of the world. Why, inquired the sheep, even now do you cast your line? The day is all but over and the fish have learned to outsmart you. The fisherman spoke with a crack in his affable voice soft thing he said you're a place to rest one's ear after months of crunching leaves with muddy boots you're what will turn a vicious day to dream what launches us to buckshot what ties night to our eyes you're the door in the wall you're the pack a bag of cotton balls an acre of clasped hands but also you're a single thread which pried from its grid with little force unwinds the sheet we've knitted to a pile. Your grouped brain is the one that asks this question. The other brain, the stock of wheat just dug up from the cooling field, already knows. Even when the stream is free of beasts, when yellowed grass appears in clumps so thick the water can't loop through and fretting dries, the fisherman carries his tackle box to the dust bowl where the river ends, casts his line, unwraps his lunch, and sits. An eon is a lot of time to wait for a change in weather, but forever is a longer time, and a single day with an unstrung pole to a man as old as I am is a broken watch, a swath of cactus needles, all time. This piece is our finale. I would like to welcome the choir and soloist Becky Stark up to the stage. And say a huge special thank you to 
all the amazing women of the choir, each one of whom represents her own musical project, her own musical universe, and um, all of whom came together to be a part of this um, project that's very dear to Becky and myself. And especially a huge thank you to Becky, who wrote this incredible score, which blows me away every time I look at it and listen to it. And so, um, Becky, thank you so much for your beautiful music and uh, your incredible inspiration to me as a collaborator. So, well, thank you, Mandy Thank you for giving us these beautiful words to sing and all those beautiful words to hear. Thank you for sharing poetry with us. It's, um, it can be a rare thing in the world, but not with you around. <laughs> <laughs> so this piece is um, called The Poem for a Ghost, right? That's right. <laughs> so we're the ghosts. <laughs> All right, ready ladies? We're gonna hit it. <laughs> so um, I'll get us started over here. Uh, the way that this piece works is it's a dialogue. So um, it appears as the poem in this book. Um, and the speaker in the poem is me. It's the tale of a real life ghost story that really happened. Um, and in the original version of it, um, it's me speaking about the ghost and this visitation. And in this expanded orchestral operatic piece, Becky and the choir are the voice of the ghost. And so it's expanded out to be this dialogue between the ghost and the human. So here we go. I'm going to move this. Please, get oh, comfortable. So gross mess. <laughs> you ready? Give me the signal. Okay. When you're ready. You ready? Okay. Poem for our ghost. Who can blame the figure that appeared translucent, glowing, green, and watched us sleep just after we'd made love? moving as he does all night past rooftops and the tufts of trees. How could he resist from perching closer to such ardent rest? Not more now than lengths of ivy painted on a scrim. How could he resist such florid substance, such clay on clay? Two ropes swelled with ocean water, bound to the bed, bound to each other, far as one can get from his own estate of disembodied transit. Was our fragrance strong enough to call him down from his canopy seat in the nighttime? How long did he watch us, letting our scented breath pass heavily through him? How long did he float, graceful, ponderous, sad, before I caught him looking where his presence lit the room? Even I feel sometimes like a ghost hovered above us, trying to get closer, to become us, to know for certain our flesh. 
and watched us sleep just after we've made love. Certainly, our flesh. I remember, I remember. I 
You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can check out this and all of our other great podcasts at www.skylightbooks.com. Today's music was provided by Fragile Gang. You can check them out at MySpace, Facebook, and the iTunes Music Store. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.